0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport Powered by fans.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even De Canio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
2: Hi, this is Jan Fjortoft, and welcome! And I'm on Loath Strangers. Uh, it's so hard for a Norwegian. Love Strangers. Well, anyway... Listen in, it's a great, great opportunity to hear some great, great stories.
0: Hello and welcome to the Love Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen. Proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Rodgers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a good shot! <laughs> oh, it's a good
2: goal! Michael is down! Well posed for Shira, goal!
1: Going
2: in. Yes, yes. no no I will win this league anyway. Richard, he's hit it, it's Cradley! <laughs>
0: Hello Jan. Hi. Thank you ever so much for agreeing to take part in this podcast.
2: Well it's a pleasure (laughs) and it's a pleasure to talk about this topic in these times so it's great to talk about some great days.
0: Yes absolutely and you had a very long and eventful career so I like to start right at the beginning from when you were a child. So who was your favourite football team and who were your football heroes?
2: Well I grew up, I'm born I do always a game. I ask people when they are born and then I try, I can tell people who they support. Uh, and it was easy at that time because in Norway, a lot of um, it, we had a match of the day every, every uh, Saturday, four hour time, three hour time, of course. And uh, then the first game I looked at was, uh, I can remember, it was Holland against West Germany, 74. Uh, that was interesting. It was Johan Cruyff was there, and Johan Cruyff uh, turned into my m- one of my favorites, and also that I followed Germany because this ability to win games was unbelievable. And the next game was between Leeds United and Bayern Munich. That was the European Cup final in seventy five, and I can remember that because I was eight, and I think it's, I thought it was so unfair. That Leeds should lose that game because they were a better team. So then I got another favorite was Billy Bremner. <laughs> there is not possible to find another player who, who less similar to me, but still. Uh, and again, that was the German way. They won again by Munich. So so that kind of uh, shaped me early
0: doors. Leeds United fans still haven't recovered from that Bayern Munich game. I don't think, but <laughs> but that's that's a good point. And and and, and another thing is that. I just
2: learned later that, that at that time they were called dirty leads and they were tough guys and everything. So we didn't know that when we were eight or nine. But I love their Admiral uh, shirts, uh, the, the, the all white and then they're yellow blue. And that ah, was fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic time.
0: Well, you were brought up in a village located by English standards in the middle of nowhere, uh, Allison, which is about two hours away from Mulder. Uh, maybe three hours away. What was football like in that sort of remote community?
2: Well, it was even worse. I mean, when you, you come to Olsson, Olsson is a city. Then you have to go with a place called Djörg Haride. That was the, where my father was from. That was also New York by my standards because then you have to go another <laughs> uh, two miles. And then you came to a village called Gushkin. And Gushkin was the village. There were 900 people there. Uh, there were, we had, when I grew up, we had no football pitch. Uh, the football pitch was done in '78. I was 11 at that time. We had to borrow the the uh, uh, the, uh, the football pitch from from another village. So I played at the lawn of my fa- the farm of my grandfather. So I al- I always say that the reason I didn't have a I had a good shot, but I didn't have a hard shot because if I shot too hard, then the the ball went down the 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 kind of grass fields of my my granddad and ended in the river so we could only find a way to score goals without too hard and, and I think I that, that at least is my uh, reason for not having a, a, a hard shot
0: oh well, yes um, but how how does that help sort of develop your early
2: football skills well i think that w- when i see now in the, in the in the mirror I mean, we didn't know it at that time. I played my first game when I was nine. Uh, my son, when he was nine, he was nearly finished with his football career because he had played games from he was five till he was nine. More games than I did from from when I was nine till eighteen. But I think that gave us a hunger. That that gave us that. Um, what you know, the countries call uh, street footballers. Uh, we had we played like everybody else. I guess that's the story of every footballer who has uh, reached different levels that I played football 24-7. So did I. Uh, you you learn that, that skill. You didn't have coaches who told you everything. The coach was hopefully one father or an uncle who could help you. Uh, my team in my village was in the seventh league in Norway. Uh, I follow them everywhere. My dad... Who was an oil? He worked on an oil boat, a supply ship. He was home just half the year, six weeks on, six weeks off, or four weeks on, four weeks off. And I followed the team anyway. And I remember when I was 14, and we're talking about all the academies of this world. When I was 14, my dad said to me, uh, "Listen, listen, Jan, it's hard to find a coach for your team. They're under 14 till 16." And I played for the. 14 to 16 team, and I played for the 12 to the 14 team, as you'd have to do in a village to to keep a team. And he said, uh, I'm I going to be your coach this year. And I said, but you can't be the coach. You are away half of the year. You're like six weeks on. Uh, you're, you're both. And he said, well, that's that's quite easy, because the guy, the captain of the other uh, shift, so to say, he will be the coach when I'm gone. And I said to him, well, we then we have another couple of problems, because he has never played football. He has never been a coach. So I always say that five years before I started to play my first full international for Norway, I had a captain on the other ship as my <laughs> coach. And sometimes I think of that when I go to a different academies and I've been visited Manchester City or Real Madrid. But I always say, sometimes I say that still, Gushken, my village... Have more players who have played in the Premiership and in the World Cup than these academies. So I guess, so I guess, I am a product of a alternative road to the to the to the big stages.
0: <laughs> well, when I was growing up, Norway were enjoying that renaissance. I mean, you were you were in the team when they eliminated England. We'll talk about that later. But in 1981, it was an event where it's an event that we still talk about so you know it's a big deal because it's a loss where england's media still talk about it, and that's of course when norway beat england 2-1 in oslo and it was the legacy was enhanced of obviously by that famous commentary how important was that game to children in norway at the time well i at
2: the time i was 14 and as i said every norwegian child know they have favorite teams from all around the world now now it's, you, you can have Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Barcelona and every, all the teams. But at that time, we were very, very into English football, as we are now. But at that time, we were like 99%. Now we are like 80. So we're still very into English football. But for us, just, just that England came to Norway was unbelievable. And that was a team of Ray Clemens in goal. We had Kevin Keegan and so on and so on. Just, just players that we knew from TV. They were so far away from us. And by, by the time I came into the Norwegian national team, and I came into the Norwegian national team, I made my debut in 86, but I kind of, I was a regular player in 88. In all qualification groups, without exception, nearly, we were last in our group. So we had these results that we beat Yugoslavia. That was a great Yugoslavian team. But then the big thing was to beat England. And and I can I, I still remember uh, the feeling because... At that time in you Norway, we, we just had one TV channel and we were not used to have live games without the match of the day game from England. So the game started around 7 o'clock-ish. And then after 30 minutes, they broke the, uh, the, the, the showing of the game and went to our news night, normal news, about foreign policies and all that kind of things. And then it was 1-0 for England. And I I still remember the look upon the face of the presentator when he said, well, we've we've had a goal at Ulleval. And then we went back to Ulleval and it was 1-1. And then they came back and then they said, um, well, we'll talk about Russia now and Leonid Brezhnev or whatever. (laughs) And then five minutes later they said, well, we had another goal at Ulleval. And suddenly little Norway were 2-1 up against mighty, mighty England. And and uh well, someone who was into football but and in Norwegian, they will never forget that and and then we had <clears throat> Björg Liili and that I had the pleasure of of know later because when I played in the under twenty one he was still traveling with with the national teams at that time we were traveling together, and he had that famous Margaret Thatcher, we have a message for you, mm-hmm. and so on and and of course for for Norwegian sport, that was a hell of a day
0: absolutely and it's only a few years later that you well, your senior career begins and you're going to have to forgive my pronunciations, but I'm going to go with Hodge. Is that right?
2: Yes, this is uh, this is the in, in our region, in, in our region of uh, of or romstall This is like a Wilshire, like a county. Uh, the, the, there was a famous team who played in the second league and they used to play in the in the first division for some years. First division at that time being the top league in Norway and they were like the uh, the, uh, the 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 small village for me very big of course because there <laughs> were 4000 there but they they were used to play some years up there and then that was a natural step for me to come to mighty hud who 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 had a tradition and they had a history of developing young players and they always did that and and the first coach i got in the in the first team there was a guy called chetil hasun and he was the famous star of that uh, old HUD team and he was the assistant coach he was a striker and for me just to to train with him listen to everything he said following his advice I keep I still keep in touch with him now many many years later that that was for a, for any kid I was still a kid because I came there when I was 15 and to follow that was just like unbelievable and it was a natural step for for me in my career,
0: what's the standard? Because this is Norwegian second tier, isn't it? What's what's the standard like? Well, I guess you, you at that
2: time, Norwegian teams never had a chance in the European Cups. Uh, I remember heard when I was sixteen, Middlesbrough who, uh, came to to Norway, which was like a big big thing. That's English club came there. It was like three 000, four thousand, which is not bad. When you have a like I said. Uh, a small city, small a big village of four thousand. I remember they lost five one, and so so. But slowly the standard got better, and uh, a lot of us came into the under seventeen national teams and everything, and, and slowly the development of young players uh, got better. But it was the second league, and there was uh, yeah, it was a natural step. Mm.
0: And next came uh, the top flight with Ham Cam, and then. Following after that was Lidström, so Lidström is definitely a big name outside of outside of Norway. Because but HamCam not so much. But it was very much a consistent rise at this case for you, wasn't it?
2: Well, it's it's like unbelievable. When I look back now, I, I sound like a, a strategy was fantastic. <laughs> uh, I see I did everything in the right manners, and and I ca- I can't believe it. But we, everybody know that things are more co- coincidentally. I. I, I went when I was 16. I went with HUD in a training camp and I was allowed to, to play with them in a training camp in the summer. Uh, came back, I had to go back to the under, under 19, although I was 16. Uh, and then I, I played two seasons in the first team of HUD. And, and the last uh, season there, I scored 25 goals in 22 goals, which was unbelievable. And, and I had offers from all Norwegian clubs. And Lilstrom that was my Norwegian uh, favorite club. Uh, they had a, a player called Tom Lund who played uh for, for Norway in that famous game in 81 and, and everybody thought I will go there. But I felt as, as a 19 year old, I was 19 in January when I left for Hamkamp. I felt it was right to go to, to a to another club before I took the big step. And seeing back now it was very wisely. Uh, but then again one of the reasons I went there because I, at this time, I'm established in the under-21, although I was only 18. I played in the under-21 national team. And a lot of my mates, four or five of them, was playing at Hamkam. So it was, it was right to go there. And then after two seasons at Hamkam, I had a, a chance to go to Lillestrøm again. And, yeah, of course, then it was the right time to to go to, at that time, together with Rosenborg, the best club in Norway.
0: Mm. Do you regret not playing uh, for Tomland though? Well, the the funny thing is
2: that I came to Lillestrøm, and he was the coach when I turned him down. But when I came to Lillestrøm, they first had a coach, of uh, uh, a Swedish coach. When I came there, uh, then he was fired, and he took over for six weeks. Tom Lund. and and when I came back after my career, I I, I never wanted to be a sport director. I never wanted to be an agent. But 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 Lillestrøm asked me to be a sport director. I said yes. I could be a sport director, a manager. We call it in Norway. But I have to keep on working as a host for, for the Champions League. And they said, yes, we could do that. And then Tomlund was in the board. So I worked with him for four years there. And he's still one of my uh, uh, role models. Uh, and it was great to work for him. But, but I came to Lillestrom uh, the first year. I was the top scorer in Norway. We were second in the league. And the next season, we won the league uh, before I went to, to Vienna. Mm.
0: And is it at Lillestrom where you first have a working relationship with David Hay? This is uh, the second year of. I played
2: for Lillestrøm. Uh, the first year we were second. The, the manager was, uh, the, the the coach was fired, and Tom Lund came in. And David Hay, uh, David Hay. I was. I remember I was with my sister-in-law, and I saw that uh, in our uh, kind of news that Lillestrøm got a new coach. It was not like typical Norwegian that I talked to everybody involved. I was one of the, the the profiles in the club, but I never knew anything about it. I just saw on TV that this English guy sorry Scottish guy this is before Google I didn't know anything about David Haye. learned later that he was a, a famous Celtic player manager and uh, also uh, a Chelsea player. but we saw David Hay came there and yeah and I looked forward to to get more influence to to learn more from him and I, and I thought it was great that David Hay came there. David Haye came to Lillestrøm I, I I quite quick. Uh, establish a good relationship with him, uh, and yeah, we won the league, uh, and yeah, everything, everybody was happy. Onker made the run ahead of him. This is White. lost the marking. Now Mark. what joy he will take for that goal.
0: Okay, so you do really, really well in Norway. Top scorer playing for your Norwegian team and like so many players from that generation in Scandinavian football European clubs take notice you moved to Rapid Vienna how did that move come about
2: well at that time uh like the record fee was said uh, was like 70,000 pounds uh and there was not I was kind of the first wave uh going abroad there was not were rarely that they went to Norway and had a look at uh, our league. Because as we know, when people get interested in smaller countries like Norway or Belgium and or Switzerland or, or even even Austria and so on, it's depending on how, how well their, their national team is. And I, I would have done had my injury, but I played Austria. And that's why they saw that I scored against them. And so, so Rapid Vienna, they wanted to have a big striker. They wanted to do a, ha, uh, have a, a great header of the ball. I, I, I was tall. I was six foot two, six foot three, whatever. And uh, when I came down there, the last thing that uh, Lindström said to me, my my club then in Norway, said, "There is no chance that you will make a trial. There is no chance at all you will do a trial." Uh, and the Friday when I was when I was then called up uh, and said, "Come tomorrow, Saturday, to Vienna." And I said, "I can't do that." and and this was the vice president, funny, And I will come back to him later because his name made some funny stories along the shores. Uh, and I said, but I can't do it. And he said, what, what do you mean you can't do it? You, you're a Norwegian, you're 22. We could offer you a professional contract. And I said, I'm getting married. And I said, well, that is a good excuse. So, but can you come Sunday? So I had my honeymoon in Vienna with, with my wife.
0: <laughs> so, you know, Rapid Vienna, as far as I'm concerned, a huge, huge club, steeped in, in rich history and really it's, Austrian football was largely forgotten about now for whatever reason, maybe the rise of Red Bull, but what was your experiences like playing in Austria?
2: Well, I came there, and first of all, I, I ended up having a trial. Uh, there was a game against a club called Red Star Auto. I'll always remember that name. And then there was two strikers playing up front for Rapid Vienna that friendly next to the stadium, Gerard Hanapi Stadium, as it was called. Now it's called Allianz, as many stadiums <laughs> around Europe are called. And uh, uh, and this guy, he was the tallest man I've ever seen in my life. So I thought this, this I, I'm playing alongside the tallest man in the world, and. They're looking for a guy who can head the ball. Uh, And I I thought to myself, well, this is the game that I'm going to win every header. And I I remember I I scored a goal. It was not given, but I headed the ball and a a small goalkeeper, has to be said, in goal as well. And and I didn't feel very well afterwards. I knew, of course, because in in the show training before before this game, they were having an open training because... Hans Krankel used to be one of the best scorers, the goal-getter of his generation, played for Barcelona, awful lot of goals for Rapid Vienna and the Austrian national team. He, he made me do volleys for 10 minutes and then the rest of the training, I made crosses for him doing volleys, so to, to be fair to the to the then, which I thought was a very old man, he was 38, uh, and he's just ended his career in Salzburg and shooting them to, to, the, to the Premiership or the top league there. And then, luckily for me, after the game, they said, Well, Jan, we, we, we want you. Uh, we want you. And uh, I went back home to Norway. I played a friendly Norway, scored four goals. The agent of Rapid Vienna wanted to sell them the player. He called uh, Hans Krenkel uh, and said, Jan has just scored four goals. Didn't mention it was a uh, friendly. And then they start negotiating. And. Uh, uh, the the biggest fee, like I said, was seventy thousand, and I was sold for three hundred thousand pounds. So it was four times the biggest fee out of Norway. And this is in nineteen eighty nine. This is before every technologically things that ever happened. And and then I was a rapid Vienna player, and I, I, like you said, rapid Vienna was rapid or, or Austria was a quite. They they developed a lot of or great players in seventy eight in in the World Cup. They beat. Uh, West Germany, that was a great team with Hans Krankel scoring two goals and a big win over West Germany. Herbert Prohaska, they had Walter Schachner, they had a defender called Bruno Petsay who, who died too early, unfortunately. I played against him, he played for Tirol. Um, but the Rapid Vienna, there was a working man club. So this is the, the kind of like Schalke in, uh, in Germany, which is a working man's club. This is the workers from a working area. And when I came there, they, they were used to have a lot of Yugos, as I said, guys for Yugoslavia. And then in, in came a, a blond Norwegian tall guy. And uh, the first game is against St. Poulton. And uh, we knew this. I, I then this is before internet as well. So I I tried to find out as much as possible, talking to different players. We negotiated my contract till like 4, 430 and then they say, Jan, you have to play a game. And I said, what do you mean? Yeah, it's the opening game today. Uh, and who are we playing? I didn't know. And we just rushed to the stadium. Uh, Hans Krankel told me a couple of things in, in German. Uh, I speak fluent German now. But if you, if you, if you see how they speak German in, in Austria, that is, uh, and in Vienna, that is their own language. I didn't mm. understand one thing. I warmed up. Uh, I was standing in the corridor then before the game. Uh, more or less, then I, I realized we're playing against a team called St. Tolton. I'm standing in the tunnel, thinking, "Wow, uh, I'm, I'm a professional football player. I'm I'm there. I got my number 11 shirt. Standing in the corridor, I turn around, I see straight into the eyes of Mario Kempes. And Mario Kempers, in '78, the top scorer, winning the World Cup for Argentina, was retiring and was on a retirement tour in in Austria. And had his long, now a bit grey hair, but still his uh, uh, fantastic uh, fashion on, on the pitch. Still very good, of course. And, and then 29 minutes later, I've scored my first goal for Rapid Vienna. I ran out to Hans Krankel and hugged him. And well, the rest is, as they say, history because I scored a lot of goals for Rapid Vienna.
0: And one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is I get to talk to people who came across people like Hans Krankl and and of course your teammates Michael Consell went on to play for Roma you had Andreas Herzog who uh, who played loads of times and and also you played alongside Maradona just not that one I did uh,
2: like like you said and I think that is what what is great about football and um, those small glimpses and and then sometimes like Three, four months ago, I went to, uh, now just before Christmas, I can't remember, uh, it was last year. I went to Vienna because one of the oldest football clubs in the world is called Vienna. And Vienna, by the way, they are playing Sheffield FC now in one of those, well, the oldest football clubs <laughs> in the world. Uh, so they celebrated, uh, there must have been the 125th uh, celebration. And I went there and get, I was one of the guests of honours because I played in Vienna and I always spoke uh, in rapper Vienna. But this was one of the neighbor clubs, and and there I met the first one I meet in the reception is Mario Kempis. I know the guy who is taking charge of him there, and it's fantastic. And that's what I love about football. And uh, McConnel, like you said, he went to Rome. A fantastic goalkeeper and Herzog. But but I think the funniest thing was was Hugo Maradona. He did everything. He was a brother. He had, Maradona, there were three brothers playing football, and uh, they played. I think on one stage they played in Rayo Valocano in, in, in Spain together. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But, but, uh, but Hugo Maradona, he did everything like his brother, only worse. And, <laughs> but to be fair to Hugo, every other player in the world, except for Messi, is doing uh, worse than Diego did. But, um, and I remember that this was a big news in Austria. And, of course, being a big news that he was the brother of of, of Diego, he got a big apartment because Diego could come there and it was all those kind of things. And and he was in this time, everybody had a roommate and the, the roommate of Hugo Maradona was a guy called Pedro Woods. And Pedro Woods had played a bit in Espanol, Barcelona, so he spoke a, a, a Spanish. And I remember in the training camp, he came to home and he was so shocked. And you could see, you and I say, guys, guys, you can't believe what's happening. And I was like, what? Now I, I got a phone call in my room. This is before iPhones. And I took the phone, and there's a hello. This is Diego Maradona. So I think that was more or less the highlight for Hugo Maradona. He didn't play a lot of games. He came on in one game, I remember, uh, against a local rival, uh, Austria Vienna. But he didn't do as well as uh, I guess the club
0: wanted to. I also was a big fan of Herzog when I was a child. I always, I always wanted him to come to England. But when you can play for teams like Bayern Munich and also Werder Bremen as well, that's that's no mean feat.
2: Now, when we were very close to to go to England, of course, after the first six months there, uh, we had a good good run in the um, in the European Cup. We knocked out um, uh, Aberdeen, uh, we knocked out Bruges, uh, and then we lost to F C Lille. And the the deal was that I learned later because Trevor Francis was then the manager of Queens Park Rangers, and he watched myself and Herzog all the time. I was twenty two, uh, Andy was twenty two. And he wanted to buy us for a quite a big amount of money. Uh, at that time, they were talking about two, two point five, two point six million pounds for both of us. Uh, in the, in the 1990 or in 1989, that was an awful lot of money for Austria. Yeah? And uh, but then Trevor Francis got uh, got the sack. Uh, so I played there for another two three years. And Herzog. Then after two two years, he went to. Uh, Werder Bremen, and he had a great career, and he had over 100 caps for, for his country, and now he is the national coach of Israel. So uh, the football world is small. The football world is uh, – that's what I like about the uh, football world because always as well when I, when I meet someone from one or another nationality, first of all, there's a big chance that I played with one of the guys from, <laughs> from that, that, that country when you played in four different countries and 10, 11 clubs. But also you have this platform to 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 speak about those kind of things.
0: Absolutely, you do. I mean, as far as Rapid Vienna is concerned, you have four of the most productive seasons that you have as a footballer. You're scoring 20 goals a season every season. Really, really good individually. But it just wasn't a great time for Rapid and, unfortunately, in cup finals as well.
2: Exactly, and uh, uh, I scored to, like every striker will correct you. Uh, is uh, I, I scored 120 goals, so that is four. That is yeah, that's a bit more uh, included. Cup, European Cup, and even the Cup Finals. I I went to three Cup Finals. I scored two goals in two different Cup Finals, but we lost all three of them. And the first one we lost against our local rival Austria Vienna. They were their coach was uh, Herbert Prohaska. They had a great team. We always won the, the, the local uh, the local rival games in the in the uh, the derbies in, in the season. That was a big thing in Austria and in Vienna. But in the final, in the 92nd minute, uh, Hans Schranker took me off. I had, I had scored what then looked like the match-winning goal. Uh, I won it up and they all congratulated me. I said, for fuck's sake, it's not over. And I turned around and they made 1-1 and we played the extra time, losing 3-1 without a striker. The next year, then we, uh, we lost against uh, a second league team, which was catastrophe for Rapid Vienna. Uh, and then the last game I ever played for, for uh, Rapid Vienna was uh, against Tyrol, Innsbruck, where we lost 2-1 or 3-1. But I scored in that game and it didn't help. But it wasn't my last game and we were, we were OK. We, we It was fantastic for me to have Hans Krenkel as my striking coach. Uh, and But then we, were, we weren't that good organised. Unfortunately, in, in to have a constant, we always won the big games, uh, but we, we had a time where Austria Vienna was a good team, and then Ernst Happel, one of the greatest managers by Feyenoord, by Bruges by uh, Hamburg Sportsverein, he came back and he took a Tyrol team uh, to to uh, a winning fashion with a great sponsor in um, uh, with the, the guy who makes the crystals uh, Tyrol uh, in, in Innsbruck, whatever. And uh, so, so we didn't do that much. But, but when I came then to the final, I realized that after four years and I was 26, it was time for me to to kind of uh, take the next step. I wanted to get away. And this is a time where there were no busman. So when your contract was up, you kind of ha- had to wait for Rapid Vienna or the club that you were at, even if your contract was up, that you had to find some kind of agreement or they could decide, they could stop you going somewhere else. So I kind of orchestrated my, uh, my farewell, my Auf Wiedersehen von, uh, for, from Vienna. Uh, and I remember when I got the silver medal or the the, the loser medals at the cup final, even the, the prime minister of Austria, the Bundeskanzler, he said to me, so where are you going, Jan? And I said, well, we'll see where I'm going. And at that time I had produced, uh, I, I guess, I think it was 30 videocassettes, video, and sent it in an envelope. I had a friend who helped me with doing that with all my goals and different things. And and I sent it to a lot of people uh, that I knew in the football business, agent and so on and so on. And one of them was my former coach, Lillisram David Hay, and uh and um and the rest is Swindon Town history.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite. I mean, at this stage You know, you're a very, very successful centre-forward in Austria. Um, For Norway, you've just scored, well, you've not long scored your first hat-trick for them. And more importantly, you scored a crucial goal against Turkey in the qualifiers. And that brings us to the summer where Swindon Town comes to the forefront. And, you know, the borough of Swindon, it's not exactly Vienna. So I imagine you didn't know much about Swindon before you joined.
2: No, I didn't. I, what I knew about Swindon Town was that they, they, they have gained promotion through a spectacular final. I knew about that. I, of course, seen the highlights and Paul Bowden's uh, penalty and so on and so on. So I knew about all those kind of things. But for me, it was all about the Premier League and it was all about English football. Norway and my generation are very uh, attracted to English football. We still are. Although now we are a bit also La Liga, Serie A and Bundesliga, but still... England is the priority number 1 and for me if I had an offer from any club in England who were in the Premier League I would have, I would have lived on the moon I would ask Neil Armstrong to take me forward and back I will still go there and and when I heard about Swindon town I was I I was playing football I was 26 but still did my my thing back home in my small village Gushkin. and then my grandfather came and said there is some guy who wants to speak to you and he speaks uh, English uh, if you've spoken to David, Hey, you know, you know, he doesn't speak English. So even <laughs> a fluent Oxford guy couldn't understand him And my granddad didn't speak English. And I say, who is it? And he said, I don't know. And he said in, in Norwegian, I don't know. So I went up and said, and it was David and I hadn't spoken to David. This is before SMS and WhatsApp messages and groups. So I hadn't spoken to David for a long time. And David told me that. And I knew that from the papers that Glenn Hoddle had left, uh, Swindon town to go to, to do Chelsea. Uh, and then he said they they're talking about that John Gorman will be the new manager, and if he does, there's a lot of if, Sirian. But if he will be the manager, I will be the assistant manager, and if I'm the assistant manager, we will try to get you to come to England. We know. Well, he didn't say you know I was free because at that time you weren't free. You were still tied up to the club, and uh, and then I said yeah great, and I'm of course interested to play 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 in the Premier League. And I spoke to the then-Vice President Fanny, He was still around. He was also an agent, which helped me a lot, because then he could look after the interests of Rapid Vienna and myself. So uh, and, and, and John got a job as manager, David Hay as a decision manager. We went over to England, negotiated with, with Swindon Town. That was quite easy, because I, I was desperate to play in the Premier League. So they had the best way of dealing with me. I'm not sure if I get a good contract or a bad contract. I didn't. I didn't care because I wanted to play in England. And there was a funny thing there about my my old mate and Dr. Fanny, who's still alive. He's 76 now, and he's still a friend of mine, and I keep in touch with him. And John Gorman, after we 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 negotiated the deal, we agreed, and we were supposed to get a taxi from from County Ground to Heathrow. And he said to then uh, a young lady, a young woman uh, in the uh, reception, he said. He wanted to have a, a, a taxi for Fanny, uh, and uh, and he said, uh, "Listen, could I get a taxi for Mr.?" Um, uh, and I knew straight away what he was struggling at, and he said, "Could I have a taxi for uh, you know? Could I have a taxi for?" And he said, "Could you just get me get me a taxi, please?" And yeah, so so that was uh, then. I was a, a Swindon Town player. It was all into secret because we didn't want to. Uh, they had to tell the board. They had to kind of approve everything they had to make sure that everything was okay because this was a time with that we need a working permit there was not like uh, well now is brexit but uh, this was even before uh, the, uh, the 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 rules were quite strict for us to come in but we thought it should be okay so i had to go back to norway i had a, a soccer academy and a, a football academy and I, I i couldn't tell anyone but i was very very thrilled because the 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 greatest dream Ever and uh, I think that it was just like unbelievable that I was supposed. I mean, it was fantastic to be a professional football player, but to be a professional football player in England in the Premiership was like unbelievable. And I, I, I couldn't believe that I, I had come so far. And I, I, told my brother. I remember we went over to to our home grass, and I said we have to make some long crosses because I think there's going to be a lot of heading uh, this,
0: this this season. I mean, living in Vienna and then moving to Swindon must have been quite a contrast. Yeah, but but I, I never thought like
2: that. And I said I would lived on the moon. I mean, I love the magic roundabout. I I love the English houses. I love everything about England and the UK from from the first place. Anyway, so so when we came there with my wife, we were looking for houses and and we they took us to one house and I said we will take it, uh, which <laughs> we we ended up not taking, but but we ended up uh, then staying in a hotel for a while thank god my wife was there to find us the the best possibly house we went to a place called Shoridge, uh which were was fantastic we had three different houses there in the in the, in the period I, I i stayed there and we were staying at the uh, 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 Diver hotel uh, for uh, three four months we saw all movies and Coming to Bambi, then my wife said, yeah, there got to be a limit even for our standards, which, fo- which, which films we are seeing without kids going and watch those <laughs> those movies. No, but I, I, I wasn't into that. For me, when I, when I came to a new place, I played football in four different countries. I played for four different clubs in England. I played in Frankfurt. I played in Vienna. And for me, the main thing is when I arrive at a place, from that moment, I am a player for that club. I want to know everything about the club. I want to know everything about the history of the place I am. And, and, I, and I felt Swindon was a great place to live. It was close to Heathrow. I learned when I moved to Frankfurt that I should never say why. why do you live like to live in Frankfurt, and I said because they have an international airport, <laughs> you, you you couldn't say that. So uh, and I, I can't say that about Swindon as well, but it was great. We we went often into to London uh, once a week, maybe went into London, and yeah, Heathrow was closed, It was easy to get our family over, and so on. So I had a wonderful time in Swindon, and it was great to come to a Swindon time where where there was so much excitement in the air. Because for Swindon, I, I learned about the story about Lou Macari and the, the promotion that never happened. Uh, and, I, and I saw the identity of people. I saw the proudness of people. I got to know uh, my neighbors. I saw how, how proud they were that Swindon town was now an ambassador for Wilshire, ambassador for the town, uh, traveling around England, going to Anfield, going to Old Trafford. And it was a fantastic time. And I'm very proud that I could... Uh, be a part of that uh, history of a of a town, of a region, of a club.
0: A little bit of space for Frank McAvenny. Away from Parker, not from Bruce though. Nyholt with a shot, took an inflection, he did! <laughs> Liv has equalised for Swindon Town. And bottom of the table they may be, but they are made of stern stuff. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. I mean, you cost Swindon a then record fee of five hundred thousand pounds over your career. You tra- your transfers accumulate well over, well, well into the millions. What's it like, as it from a human level, to be worth millions over a career?
2: Well, I, I, I just think that you think that is a part of, of the things, uh, you know, uh, you know, there is a pressure on you, you know, when you come as a uh, a record signing uh, uh, to, to a club, you know, there are expectations, but it's an old cliche, but it, the, the biggest ex- uh, um, expectation you have to yourself and I was at this time a Norwegian national player, I, I already had uh, 30, 40, 30, 35 caps for Norway. And I knew that I had to play well. This was uh, is easier is easier to score goals in in Australia than in the Premiership. So that expectation is big, and it's just a part of the industry. I I don't think you think a lot of that. You think that that is a part of of the game. Uh, you can say that there are expectations. You can say you are like kind of slaves that are sold around and and things. But 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 when you when you're in the game, you just this is a part of of the rules, this is a part of, uh, you, you are, you are, a, you, I, I never felt like that people said that I was a slave because they could sell me around. Uh, because I thought uh, the price, uh, the price for me was to experience new players, a new environment, new places. And and I've been fortunate when I played in England that uh, most of the clubs I played for, I was at the time, even in, in Swindon, In Middlesbrough, when they went up from from the first division into the Premiership, uh, at Barnsley, when Barnsley had that fantastic year in in the Premiership, and even in in Sheffield, where we had a a quite good team, and I was there at a good time for the clubs. And I think that is one of my legacy when I come back to these clubs, when I meet people from these clubs, that we and a lot of the other players around at the time, we are kind of a symbol, we are a kind of... A a remembrance, or people remember that as a great time, and and that is something something I'm very proud of that I I I could be a part
0: of. Let's talk about John Gorman. John Gorman is often cited on this podcast by my guests as one of the nicest men in football. I'm sure you would agree.
2: No, not even he is the nicest man in football. Uh, So so John Gorman and, and John Gorman. You know when people talk about Swindon Town, they they say because I think this is because we conceded 100 goals and people thought what was going on. Uh, and it's also that we started off so badly and I was a part of that. I was, uh, but, but John Gorman was, John Gorman was, like you said, very, very nice in his, he was, his, he, well, some critics could say he was naive, but he wasn't naive either because he had his philosophy. He had he had shared that philosophy with Glenn Hoddle, the passing of the ball, uh, was very vital to him. And when we, then we were kind of losing all the time that game went into kind of strange things. And because I remember we lost seven, one at, at Newcastle. And, and John, John said to me the next day, because we went to a dinner together and he said to me, uh, yeah, and we did some great passing. (laughs) And and you kind of, even then he saw something positive. Uh, by the way, that was the game with Sean Taylor sat on a bus and he said, well, uh, Andy Cole didn't score, and I said, for fuck's sake, Sean, every other Newcastle player scored. So, I mean, that, that was the kind of atmosphere in and around the club. And then we can ask ourselves, would it have been better if we had a, a brutal, a typical, uh, when you think of the old cliché English managers? Well, maybe, maybe we would have scored less goals, that's for sure. We would have maybe conceded less goals, but i i i I'm, I'm not sure that it would be a big big difference uh by losing five nil or two nil uh, there would, there was games we were winning we scored more goals I think than Arsenal who were fourth in the league even I'm not sure about that is hundred percent but I remember it like that and I think one of the things that could have saved us uh, at that year and if we see it realistically, we had a team that had a certain quality of the players. Uh, but I, I see now when you see Premiership, we think back on Swindon Town t- time, you see that there have been a lot of bad teams in the Premiership and we were quite OK. And if you see the m- amount of points we had, there was a realistic chance. But of course, the record signing Jan Fyotov had to start scoring from game number one. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, it was the opposite. first game at Bramble Lane, uh, where I later will have uh, scored a lot of goals. But in that game, we played one-one. It was the first game of the season. I got a knock in my my ankle, and that, and in a mixture with not telling that I I need treatment or whatever, I thought I could just play on and I will play this of me of me and and that's in combination. But with with me thinking that, well, um losing slightly the self-confidence because as a striker if you go two three four five six games without scoring goals you start thinking what well, there is something wrong with me there is something wrong with the way i'm playing football so maybe i'm not a good enough for the team which was hard to un- or good enough in the premiership but, but that was quite hard for me to understand because i did well for norway uh, at that time but i came into that mixture of bad thoughts feelings and everything and also that I was expected to score the goals. And uh, uh, and then, yeah, that was a quite difficult autumn for me. And it was difficult for Swindon Town. Of course, if I had the same amount of goals that I had uh, in the second part of the season, we would have been in the league. But but you never know. I would I have scored so many goals from January and out if I didn't score before Christmas? I don't know. I have no idea about it. I just know that we... We 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 lost a lot of games, and I was uh, at the time it's unbelievable. In 1993, is also one of the highlights in my career. At the same time that I'm sitting on the bench for Swindon not scoring goals, and I'm scoring the decisive goal in Poland that we qualified for the World Cup for the first time since 1938. So there is just like unbelievable ups and downs in my career at
0: this uh, time. I do remember. Even though I was very young at the time, what was I, Nine, ten. I was 10 when you scored that goal at, in Poland. And I do remember sort of the eye rolls of, you know, like, well, you can score for bloody Norway, can't he? And things like that. But I think generally the fans saw your effort. They recognised that you were always trying and you always celebrated other people's goals, you know, with so much op- um, enthusiasm, didn't you? Yeah, I I was
2: desperate to do to 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 do my best at Swindon Town. I was desperate for the club to do well. And I think one of the keys that I have succeeded in different countries and different clubs and scored my goals is that I always felt very uh, and it's, it's sometimes that is hard for people to understand when you play for so many clubs, how can you have a heart uh for different clubs even after your career? But I was I think one of the keys that I I well, except Swindon. It took me some time to get get into the the system at Swindon, but but because I was quite quick, I adjusted to new countries, to new teams. And one of the reasons I think was that I I was there with my heart. And, and and it is a good point what you're saying because I I remember I remember we do warming up and I was on a bench and we we were warming up. We did some volleys and I did some great goals in a warm up. And I remember people. People celebrated, and I remember these kind of things. I think they were desperate for for the club to do well. They knew that uh, then I had to do well, and and but it was also great humor. And I remember this fan scene, and I, I always put that for, uh, story forward because there was two blank pages in this fan scene, and they were saying at one top of uh, page one, so to say, was saying what has David Hay done for Swindon Town? <laughs> blank page, and then the next page is blank as well, and down at the bottom of that page, saying uh, he, he got Jan Fyotov to the club. He, he got us <laughs> to pay and buy Jan Fjortov. But I think that is also a legacy to my attitude to it, because I thought I was unbelievable funny. I thought I was fantastic, great humour, but... Uh, uh, People kind of lost confidence in me, of course. When you're not scoring goals, you're not in the team, and, and and John Gorman as well losing confidence in me, and and he had to because he had to. I was out of the team, and 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 he got Andy Mutch in, he got Keith Scott in, he got got the old <laughs> the old guard of English football in, and I and I found myself on the bench, and and Christmas Eve in 1993, and I always say that there's the lowest point in my career. I playing Wickham Wanderers, the B team of Wickham Wanderers, the reserve team for Swindon Town, on a kind of pitch outside Swindon. There was the, the wind was colder than any Norwegian explorer, Royal Amundsen or Fritz Nansen, or your Scott, who who was second <laughs> to the South Pole would ever experience i was the coldest man on the pitch i had like six jackets under my sh- uh, swindon town shirt i was the worst man on the pitch we were probably losing and i remember I came down and my family was over for no and i i just opened the doors i was still cold my 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 face was cold and i just opened the door this is on christmas eve and i said just have a look at me now it's not possible it's not possible to come lower in your career so from here it can only go forward you can only go up boy. so that was my christmas
0: <laughs> <laughs> and boy january 1994 it all changed for you
2: it changed and uh, there was some some small incidents as well uh my, my wife at the time was was pregnant with our first kid uh and there were people like chris waddle ian wright they came up to me when we played them sheffield wednesday and uh, and arsenal and and they came up to me just Coming over in, in the players' lounge, saying, Jan, you'll be okay. Just keep on working, keep on working." And uh, for me, at that time, that was very, very mo- a great, great motivation for me. And I always tried for the rest of my career, and I still do it. And I and I see that people who are struggling, that is the time when you have to, to give them a little lift, and you, you have to see you see them. And yeah, and then my uh, my my boy uh, Marcus was born the twelfth of January. We played Everton three, four days after, and in a typical Swindon Town manner, we were 2 two nil down or 2-1, whatever. We came back 20 minutes to go to 2-2, two, two, ending up losing 6-2. Uh, uh, and I came on, I remember we had a, there was a, I made a volley and uh, I was sitting in a the, in the ward with my wife and my newborn kid. And on match of the day, they said, uh, and, and mind you, this is like 26 years ago. And uh, I remember the, the commentator said, "Well, uh, and a great volume and it was nearly a goal. Of course, no goal because I didn't score goals." And they said, um, "Well, this is why uh, Swindon Town bought a record, uh, bought him for a record fee." And and I and I remember I said to I said to my wife, Let, "Let's let's hope this is the start of something." And and uh, and Keith Scott was was cup tied against Ipswich away in the FA Cup, and I played in the FA Cup, and it was the same. It was the same thing that have ever, ever happened i I was a, a bit unlucky, maybe not good enough and I couldn't score and then I suddenly scored a goal and uh, and uh, yeah we we were, i I had that first goal and at this same time that i i uh, I scored my first goal, I was very worried that um that I would miss the world cup that was that was coming up in the summer and I was very well very very nervous for that because the first time Norway had qualified since 1938. Not even Eric Torstwald was playing at that time, <laughs> but Eric Torsdott was playing for Tottenham. And and, and then the next league game, um, and I remember Keith Scott was a bit disappointed. That John Gorman said, "Well, I keep on with Jan up front," uh, and uh, and I played that game. And like 15, 16 minutes, I remember the, like that. Eric Torsdott, my one of my roommates from the national team, he got injured. He was carried off, and I said to John, to Eric Torstwood when he went off on a on on uh, on this, what do you call that in England? Stretcher. When you stretcher, yeah. So he was lying on the stretcher, and I say, you are you are a fucking coward because I <laughs> I'm just supposed now, and I'm just ready to score my first goal in the Premiership, and you are stretched off, you coward. And he went off. Ian Walker came on, and some minutes later, I scored my first goal in the Premier League, and and. That changed a lot of things because I had agreed to go on loan. Swindon were generous or <laughs> saving some money to let me go to save my place in, uh, uh, for Norway in, in the World Cup. So I, w- I was about to go back to my former club, Lillestrøm. They, they were very generous, finding money to pay my wages and going back. And And after the Tottenham game, uh, I think we were off on a Sunday or on Monday whatever my wife told me to go to get something in, in, in the Swindon town in the, in the sensor. And when I, and I was driving and, and you, you were so good with these, uh, with these, uh, maybe it was Sunday. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. And you have these posters saying what's in the papers. And that was an evening advertiser and, uh, and on all posters while I was driving to the city and it's, it's touchy to talk about now. And, uh, that was the always the headlines, please don't go Jan, please don't go Jan, please don't go Jan. That was kind of the the headline of of uh, every poster. And I remember I came back to my wife and I said, I think there is a big chance that we will be staying, which was good for us. I mean, I had a two week old son. Uh, w- we didn't want to go back, but we, we, we knew that this at that time when that was decided was the only chance that I had to play at the World Cup. And. And rightly so, I went into John, and John said, Jan, yeah, of course, you un- you must understand, there is no chance we can let you go now. <laughs> and uh, and I, I had to call Lillestrom, and Lillestrom, generous again, they said, we understand that, Jan, and we are happy for you. And Lillestrom has always been, a, it was my, my favourite club when I was a kid, I worked for them later, it's still, it's still my club, they, they were the only one who could maybe being a director of sport. I did that for four years for them because that was my club and uh, yeah, and then, then I, I scored goals for fun.
0: I think for me your goal against Tottenham as a child was was so so important because obviously your friends in the in the playground, lots of Tottenham fans in Wiltshire. <laughs> um, but of course probably one of the biggest moments was things like um scoring against Manchester United, which for you as a Norwegian who was raised on English football to get that goal would have been huge. Of course you've got Swindon's only hat-trick in the Premier League. Just great memories for us as well as for yourself.
2: Yeah, I think it was. And it was like there was a uh, uh that from January to May, there were ups and downs again. I know I, I can only remember the goals I scored. I can only remember the games we won. I can't remember we lost <laughs> We prob we probably did. But yeah, there was some some great experience. There was some great experience we had together with our fans. Uh, the Manchester United game was was big, and it's it's always remembered for Cantona stamping on John Moncur, uh, and he was just standing there. Uh, that was a two two game, and yeah, there were some great experiences. And I I remember scoring my hat trick, and not far from where I'm talking now, I have my ball from that game uh, from from a hat trick. I'm very Proud. Although I, the the funny thing is, I was I was one of those players, uh, and at that time, uh, for four months, it was only Leticio score. I think a goal more than me in the Premiership in the whole Premiership, and there was some good strikers around, and I scored that for Swindon Town. So, which which was uh, which we, I think now or then as well was a great achievement. But uh, I was not a great penalty shooter, and that was unbelievable because I was quite good going one to one with a goalkeeper, but somehow. I didn't. I wasn't that good at penalties, and so so this game foreboding. Not taking the penalty, I'm doing the penalties. So I've scored, I guess, with a header, and then we get a penalty, and it's me to do it. I go forward and I think, what what will I do now? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. And Ogr- Ogrovits was a goalkeeper for Coventry, and I thought, well, I just and I do. I did a terrible penalty, and uh, Steve was even more terrible uh, because there was then the goal and then in the second half we get a second penalty and I thought what the fuck will I do now I, I don't have any I didn't have one sleeve, sleeve up the arms in the first place and now I know I got another penalty <laughs> but thank god Steve Gro- Grozovic he made it easy for me because when I ran at the ball he went to his left and then it was easy for me to put it in in, in the right corner uh, of from him, so so yeah, we won the game against Coventry, and uh, I'm very proud to have scored a, go- a hat trick in the Premiership. Uh, so there was a lot of great, great experience at that time. And ending all, and we were down, uh, ending all, playing Leeds United at home. We had we were 95 goals we had conceded. We conceded goals for fun. There was three two. We was we were losing five, and then we scored three again and. And so on, but we we had a, a bit trouble. Uh, we had a bit trouble with conceding goals, <laughs> even though we had uh, the Terminator Sean Taylor as our captain at the back, with his uh, mouth protection in there. Was one game he came, well, you you couldn't understand what he said. There was no chance, and he he wanted to lead us out there. You can imagine. So Winston Churchill during the Second World War, having a mouth protection in his mouth, we were all speak German if if that happened, because you couldn't <laughs> understand a thing that he said. So once he came over to me and he said, and he said, and I said, huh? And he said, and I said, what the fuck are you talking about? And then he took out his mouth thing and he, and he protected. He said, fuck off, Jan. And then he put it in again. So, that, <laughs> so, so that, that's, that's one of those, those things to remember. When we're conceding goals for fun, there was one game left of the season. There was Leeds United. They had a decent team. They had Brian Dean there and Brian Dean later, a good friend of mine that I played with in Sheffield United. He was also working in Norway later and we, mm. we met up here. And Brian Dean told me that, well, the preparation, uh, I mean, there was a bit alcohol involved because they, they had a good party week and they're playing us at counterground. ground. It could be a great way to say farewell to the Premiership, farewell to our fantastic fans. And what do we do? There are 95 goals we have conceded. So John Moncur made uh, on the message board. He made like the odds for what will happen, and the odds for us conceding 100, they were they were worse than Elvis is alive and Jimmy Hoffa could be found, and uh, and of course we conceded five goals and yeah we conceded 100 goals. So uh, <laughs> so that was like unbelievable and and it, and it was a funny time for me because I was very. I was very glad that I came back as a, as a goal scorer. I could show Swindon Town that I was, um, that I was capable and I, that I can give the excitement that £500 pounds get you in the playing market at that time. But also, it was, was, and then we was very sad because we got relegated. But then again, for me, I had so much to look forward to because I was supposed to play for Norway at the World Cup.
0: That Sean Taylor story is, is one of the best. That's the, let's talk about your teammates in the Premier League. Who were who were the standout?
2: Well, there were so many. I mean,
0: what what I love about what I love
2: about football teams, and what I love, but especially love about uh, the UK, I played for four different clubs. But I, I think what, when I when I do my teammates in all those kind of clubs, I could kind of take them into four kind of categories of people. Uh, and I am. I, I love people. I love uh, to be around. I I am an individual. I'm a selfish bastard who wants to score the goals, and hopefully that will help to help the team. But I could. I will always be in, in a team. I love to be a, a part of a team. And and at Swindon we have so many characters. We had a fattest goal, uh, the captain of the world uh, in Sam C- uh, M- McLaren, uh, Ross McLaren, the Scottish guy that we were friendly with our family. He was an unbelievable guy. Then you have Fraser Digby, who lived not far from me. A great character with his wife, traveling around <laughs> Swindon town, having parties. And they were go good to go out with uh, on parties. Fraser Digby. Who after the season, he, him and Nicky Hammond. Nicky Hammond, I guess, played 20% of the games, so or maybe it's 15, 20%. But they they said they couldn't. They 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 didn't do any mistake. So they they. The 100 goals, they, they didn't do anything <laughs> wrong. Okay, which I think is funny now, 26 years later. Uh, we had Sean Taylor, of course. Sean Taylor being our leader, leading by example. I mean, you're talking about guys you want to bring on the front line in a, in a war. I think you will, you, will, you will take Sean Taylor any day. Uh, he was unbelievable. You have Paul Bowden with his, with his left foot and his great penalties. You have, had a, a Kevin Horlock. Who, who was a young kid when I was there, but he kind of turned into a, 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 a great. He had a great career, yeah. uh, going to Manchester City, John Moncur, of course, going to West Ham, and and so on. And uh, we had some great players in the team, but but for me, the most important thing for my career and for my goals that was uh, Nicky Somerby. Uh, he was an old-fashioned crosser of the ball, son of his dad. I still see his his dad and his uh, uh, his mother Tina. I see them when I do Manchester City. It's great to see them again. I met Nicky, uh, coincidentally, or we, we knew about each other, but we, we, we had, a, had a drink and a dinner in, in Doha, where I think he still lives. And um, yeah, he was a fantastic crosser of the ball. And uh, a lot of the goals I scored was, was from his crossing. We, we had a, a, I'm not saying telepathic understanding, but he... He did what crosses should do. He should cross early, and he should do a percentage ball like David Beckham. He was he was not the caliber of David Beckham, but in terms of crossing, he had uh, the. Uh, I would say that he had the same potential as as David Beckham. Fantastic, and and then it was funny because in John Gorman, if if we lost four 0 or three nil. John Gorman only counted the chances we had. And he thought, if we had strikers who scored four goals, we would have won 4-3. <laughs> which is a fine way and a charming way of, of having a philosophy. But at the end, then, you will end up having a lot of strikers. So if we lost five, he will buy Andy Much, who was the partner of Steve Ball at Wolverhampton. Great, great partnership. And he came to, to county ground. And Keith Scott came from from Wickham Wanderers and did well for us scoring goals, even even at the Premiership, Keith. And But Andy Much was... I got a good, uh, a good, good relationship with Andy Mutch, but it, it wasn't all the time the, the, a good relationship because when Andy Mutch came to Swindon Town, he is that, that kind of English man, or is he that kind of person who, who kind of he's talking all the time. I mean, I talk a lot, but compare with him, hmm. I am Vauxhall conference, and he is Premier League, and uh, he was talking all the time, and i and me being down a bit lack of confidence. He was like, yeah, and I want to do this. You want to do this, and you want, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this. And Andy Much came, and I thought, well, he he turned into a symbol, and he, and he played instead of me. That annoyed me as well. And he was a symbol of my titanic way of going down. And I thought, this man, uh, he's now getting on my nerves. So I said to my wife one morning for breakfast, and I said, I'm going to do something today that I've never done before, and I hope I won't do it again, but I'm going to crucify one of my teammates. I'm going to... So knock this guy down because I have to do it. I just have to get him off my chest, and we, we and, and I, then I will take David uh, Andy on because I, I couldn't stand his talking anymore. So we're having a game six against six, seven against seven. I can't remember, and a short uh, a, a, a short pitch and he and he came towards me, played the ball uh, on me, passed me, and then he was supposed to pass me, and I just waited for him. And I swear to God. I had a kick and I hit him straight in his stomach. He went down and on his way, I kicked him again. And this bugger stood up and he said, "Jan, that's exactly what I want from you." <laughs> and, and, and from then on, Andy Much was my best mate, and I love Andy Much. He was <laughs> unbelievable, and I and I then understand there was some nothing wrong with Andy Much. There was something wrong with Jan Fyotov. So so great characters in the dre- dressing room and. A lot of people saying, could we have made it better? Could we have had another manager with another philosophy? Did we have a short of players? Yeah, of course. You you, you come up from, from, from the championship and you play against the best players in the world. You play against Ian Wright, who scored goals for fun. And you played against a Manchester United that was developing into one of the greatest sides of all time in English football. Uh, but I, but I, I don't think we would have done a lot better because I think that... That team spirit and that way of thinking, that philosophy, that way of scoring goals, that, that made us t- to who we were. And maybe we could have been more boring, but I'm not sure that we would have more points. And, I'm, and I know for one thing that, I, uh, that now after 26 years, uh, if we were a team that kind of played on corners and free kicks and tight at the back and losing 2-0 instead of 5 nils. We wouldn't sit here and talk about this as one of the greatest time of our life.
0: A little bit of space for Frank McIverney. Away from Parker. Not from Bruce, though. Nyholt with a shot, took a inflection, he did! Liv Nyholt has equalised for to Swindon Town. And bottom of the table they may be, but they are made of stern stuff. We won so many sort of fans and admirers, even though you know we 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 weren't winning games and we went down. We made a lot. We made lots of friends, but that's what makes the following season so frustrating. What happened the following year?
2: Well, I first I had to play uh, or I had to play. Uh, thank God, I, I played at the World Cup, <laughs> uh, one of the highlights of all my career for Norway. Uh, and I remember a lot of the, the Swindon Town fans in England because we have knocked out England. And England was not around anymore Uh, so we were we were your team in 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 the USA and we were we we were a group of death so we got Mexico, Ireland, uh, ourselves and Italy, Italy who then later went to the final and we were all on four points and we went out and when we were finished I met my my then five months old son and my wife uh, at the um, uh, at their hotel and I said you know, guys, this, this season now is going to be so vital for me because uh, we are down in the championship, but I have straight away, I have to do well. I have to, this is a a major season. <clears throat> so I said, so we were going on a, on a holiday and I said, I, I'm going to train a lot. And my wife didn't say it for the first time and not the last time uh, that, Jan, you're mad. But I trained very, very hard that summer. John Gorman had gave given me, another week off in training. Uh, we were standing after a, a week in the Caribbean. We were standing at the airport in Florida. We could go wherever we wanted in the world. We had a week off, and, and I decided to go back to Swindon. I was in my, in my back garden. Swindon Tower didn't know that I was around. I had the days off. I was playing with my son in, in, in the garden, had a great, great week, to, to and I trained by myself. I. I Got energy to get into a season. A season I scored 28 goals, but that season was very frustrating because we started so well. We were third in the league. We had a great, great team. We had some good players coming in to, uh, for us, and we had learned a lot of the mistakes we did in the Premiership. And then a lot of things, different things happening. Uh, I mean, maybe we didn't have the, the right mixture of players, maybe we had too many players on the same mental level. What do I know? And also the the kit manager, uh, now the kid manager, the physiotherapist uh, Kevin, he killed himself tragically. and some something happened, and there was something around the the club that was not good. Uh, of course, we didn't slip down the table because of that, but it was just like the 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 mood of the camp. Of course, we all loved Kevin, and we, it was very depressing when that happened. I remember. John Gorman being a very emotional man. That got us, got us down. And uh, and there was just a matter of time before John, because we were a team from, from the Premier League, they expected us to be at the top, of course. And then John was fired. And Steve McMahon came in, a tougher manager, totally opposite of John. And coming down to the um, transfer deadline day, uh, that was the end of Jan Fjordov at the club as well. I, I've signed before the season I signed a five year contract because first all, I wanted to stay there, but then again what footballers do, you want to be rewarded for doing better. And then the transfer deadline came up and, and uh, when 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 the club told me Steve McMahon told me that we have accepted a fee from, from Middlesbrough, well then you know the train is off and off off I was.
0: Yeah. It was certainly the first transfer in my time support in Swindon where I felt sort of empty. And there's only been a few times that's ever happened. Yourself, when Sean Taylor left and later when Matt Ritchie left very suddenly to Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, those moments where you think, had these individuals stayed, what the future would have held? Because let's be honest, although we probably wouldn't have had a great season, we wouldn't have gone down had you had you remained at the club. No,
2: I just that that's just see my average scoring that time uh, mm-hmm. because uh, we, we would have stood up, we, we would have been in the league, but they felt at that time that 1.3 million pounds was good for them, and they said yes, and then there was no, there was kind of no way back for me, and then Brian Robson called me, and and like Blackburn Rovers did with with Kenny Dalglish when when Kenny Dalglish was the manager, they were good managers to pull players. So so for me then, when Brian Robson said, do you want to be a pro? A part of the project I mean my dream to, was to get into the premiership again and and Middlesbrough then w- was at the top at the championship but they were still not in and uh, so that was a bit gamble but I felt that that was a, a part of a project that I would would kind of um, be a part of and um, and off I went to to Middlesbrough and um, rightly so we had, uh, had uh, eight games before the end of the season and uh, I scored some decisive goals but I was a part of a team that then went into the Premier League in, in a new stadium and, and and Swindon Town went down which was, was which was very sad because not even that not not only that when I went to clubs that I invested so much well my knowledge or my kind of kind of uh, enthusiasm and being part of a club but you leave something at every club you 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 leave friends you leave uh, connections you leave experiences and of course I still do I'm, I'm 53 you now. I still follow all my former clubs and that means that I, I'm busy every week to follow the clubs but <laughs> but I follow my clubs and it was I was very sad that that then Swindon town Swindon town I, I came back a bit later with, with Sheffield United That was my first game for Sheffield United I came back, back to Swindon and uh, was fantastic reception uh, of the fans, and it must have been three, four years later. That was unbelievable, and 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 I and I, and I can can tell you one thing, and that is my only regret. But i I know that human beings are not like that, because you do, and I always done decisions based on family situation, the feeling, and coincidences and things like that. But but when I was finished in in, in, in Germany, when I played for Eintracht Frankfurt. I, I can't believe. Why didn't I go back? Why don't? Why didn't I play in England for a couple of more years? But I, then I went back to Norway. I know that was a family situation because I could have played on in, in the Bundesliga as well. But, but I, but I love to be in England. Why didn't I go back and play a couple of years more in England? But okay, <laughs> the rest is <laughs> you can't do anything about. it. I went back to Norway. I got my third child. So football is like football is like life. You you you're not even always sure. You do thirty thousand decision during a day. So. Some of them got to be wrong sometime.
0: Was your goal against Millwall in the Coca-Cola Cup one of your best?
2: I think my best goal ever in my whole career is uh, a goal against Brighton oh. in the League Cup, where Fraser Digby shoot the ball as very high. And I remember my geometry in school, and I knew that if I can make the same angle... And, the, and then the goalkeeper will probably probably be long out of his line. So I, I kind of, if you see that on YouTube, you will see that I, the ball comes down, it bumps over the defender. And I just do the same as Fraser did, one more, because the geometry just made it do that. That was, that was important. I think my strength as a player was that I was always thinking, what, what, what was the best thing that can happen? I learned a lot from Dennis Burkham. I learned a lot of his way of thinking because I saw that, you know, all these lines around the 18-yard box, you know, this half circle yeah. and all those kind of things. They are there for nothing, at least this half circle. But it's good for a striker to have this circle because then I know where I am. So they, So Mick McCarthy, and I met Mick McCarthy three, four times, and we always meet each other. We <laughs> hug, and the first thing I said Get your fucking trousers down, uh, my friend. <laughs> and and I always say that, and he laughs. And we have. I I met him at Wolverhampton. Now I did uh, did Manchester United in the FA Cup, and and which, which which is a which is a good thing, and which which which, which kind of football is. And and uh, uh, so so that goal that I I've done goals like that because I knew in the position I was. I knew because I've done a hundred times in my mind uh, and. Score, score goals like that uh, close to those goals before. I knew what a goalkeeper was. And, then, then, and, and the rest is then uh, to just do it. And then you do, you have to do it 20 times, 30 times. Your position got to be there. And then suddenly it happens. What do you think will happen? I think that now when I'm getting older and more experienced, I knew now more what I was doing. I knew it a bit at that time. But uh, my first goal in Germany, long ball, in And I knew that the goalkeeper of Schalke was a bit sloppy and everybody was looking out and I in because I thought maybe he will let the ball down. And he did. And I scored. I can run there a hundred times and he will never do it. But I did. And, and I think that Millwall goal was, was kind of k- kind of the same. But, but for me, the best goal is against um, Brighton in the Cup.
0: Of course, for those who don't know, Mick McCarthy was commentating on that Millwall goal and said if he meant it, he would uh, show his bare ass in public, which, after a couple of replays, showed that you clearly meant it, which is very, very funny indeed.
2: The Fjordovic, trying to turn his man, oh, what a goal! A fantastic goal by Jan Fjortot.
0: OK, well, let's talk post-Swindon. We've already talked about the World Cup, which was a fantastic achievement for you and for Norway. You're a part of a golden generation, which involved loads of Norwegian players. You've already mentioned Torsvet. There's Gunnar Halle. There's um, Olfinger Haaland, and Hudson, Lars Bohinian. So many players coming over from from Norway and from Solskjaer, Europe. Solskjaer, if you Sol, said Solskjaer. Of course, Oligon and Solskjaer, the most successful. Ronnie Jonsson, Henningberg, Henningberg. Yeah, just... It was an unbelievable team. It was, I mean, and of course, like, even in World Cup 94, you're in the group of death and you only you only get knocked out with the Italians and the, um, and the, and the Mexicans and the Irish. The Irish and the Italians go through.
2: Yeah, we did. And we were, a bit, we were in a group with Poland, Poland, Holland, uh, Turkey... San Marino in the qualification group. We won the group. I mean the most surprised of them all were the players because we couldn't understand it. We had a great coach in Olsen who had, had a system was, that was very fitted to us. We had a we had a lot of leaders in the team. A lot of them made good careers also after their football career. We we took charge. We we kind of we were able to go on the pitch and, and take First of all, the ideas of our coach out on the field. But even even we, when we have a, had that system, we still manage to adjust during games. And I remember one game we played a Qatar. It was a friendly game. And I always used that as an nice example because then Egil Olsen said, we go back, we start pressing on the midfield and, and midfield against Qatar. I mean, we, we were used to winning games against England and Holland and so on. And... And then we went out to the pitch and I said to, to Rune Bratza that he was the captain. I was the vice captain. I said, Rune, of course we go high pressure. And he turned around, of course we do. <laughs> and we won 6-1. And everybody said, after the game, fantastic tactic from our coach. But but our coach, our coach was a genius. And he was unbelievable. And I, I remember when we played England, we beat England uh, one draw at Wembley. And we beat England at home 2-0. And uh, I remember... Before the game, he went through every player in the team and he said, Paul Gascon, thank God he's playing. David Platt, at that time, the most expensive player in the world, thank God he's playing because he's, he got this weakness and we can do this and we, we can do that. So <clears throat> when the team meeting is over, he's is, he is say, wait, boys, wait, 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 I have to sell you something. And because he had kind of talked the English team, not down as persons, but he said that, yeah, Gary Palliser will do this and he will do that, and Tony Adams, yeah, and he will do this and that. And then he said, he was still looking at the, the board where he had put down the England team, and he said, and we were Norway, and he said, uh, boys, just make sure that you don't underestimate the English. That's, <laughs> and I mean, you could fly to the stadium. And he was talking about not underestimating one of a great, great football team with great, great players. And, and when I came to, to, to level that game, game, we won 2-0. Um, I was involved in both goals and one of the highlights of my career. Even that the bugger of a coach took me off after 60, 65 because uh, I, I just knocked out my rival. And I, I didn't play the last 25 minutes. And it still annoys me 26 years later. And, uh, and, uh, and then, then I said, David Platt came back, came back on a corner. We had a corner and he said... The, the 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 fucking long ball is the only fucking thing they've got. So then, 20 minutes later, we were two two nil up, and I said, and I went over to David Platt and I said, well, that fucking long ball seems to be enough, doesn't it? <laughs> and he was like annoyed and mad at me. And then uh, uh, we qualified for the World Cup, and England didn't. And then we played him in a friendly like three weeks before the World Cup at Wembley, and uh, I was. I was playing the first half, and he was, and my rival was going to play the the rival of the number nine shirt was playing the second uh, second half, and and in the 43rd minute, uh, the ball was all on, his, all on his way on the other uh, part of the, the ground, and I went over to David Platt and I knocked. And pushed him on the shoulder and he turned around and I said, so David, what are you doing this summer? I'm doing the World Cup, by the way. <laughs> and he like kind of kn- tried to knock me down. And This was, was during the game at Wembley. So this is, this is that feeling that he went, managed to get into the team. And, and we felt we can beat anyone. anyone. Uh, we did. We, we beat uh, the greatest nations. Uh, and, and like you said, at the World Cup, we, we, there was a neutral ground. We... We, we did well against Mexico we beat Mexico and then then we, we lost against Italy even though they got a red card and and uh, they managed to, to beat us one nil and then we couldn't get that goal against Ireland and um, yeah so we were out of the World Cup and and um, but it was a great time to play for for Norway and I'm I'm a proud owner of 71 caps I've scored 20 goals for my country we qualified for the World Cup we were very close to get to Euro 96 and, and things like that so that was a great great experience and it was a great time to be uh, in a small country like Norway and see the proudness of a whole nation I mean we knew that we could win the Olympics we knew that we um, <laughs> in, in skiing and ski jump and everything but suddenly we were at the World Cup at uh, in football and um, that was amazing for everyone and it, w- it was amazing for us. I played 25 games fifth game when Alston came on and I played nearly 50 games for him. Uh, he's a coach and he turned around everything and it just shows you how, yeah, the, the amazement of why I love teams. That was Sometimes you find a mixture of a coach and a great team. Or a great team and a great coach, and this, and this mixture of him and Egil Olsen is now like 200 years. no he's not. He's, <laughs> he's he's the 75 or 76, and and I still love to be around Egil. And when I have an event or anything, I go. I, I got communication company in Norway, and whatever I have something, I always invite him. He always come, and we talk about the old times, and he he just shake his head, shaking his head because. I think that he was a great leader and he doesn't feel he was a good leader so he felt he was a bad leader but he had a great system and uh so we have always these quarrels but but uh great great memories
0: I mean it's just it's just listening to your enthusiasm about the past is just so infectious I I could do it all day but we will look to wrap it up now <laughs> yeah. um because because you've been so generous with your time but I mean one of the things that I love about cuz it, it I I don't you know I hated seeing you in Middlesbrough jersey I hated seeing you in a Sheffield United and Barnsley jersey but what (laughs) I love about now with social media is I absolutely adore every now and again a clip of you kissing Tim Flowers or winding up Roy Keane by not going down and rolling around injured when he when he wallops you Um, I just love seeing those clips and it's great that you managed to forge a career where you had great relationship with the fans throughout yes and I think that was w- one
2: of the, I mean did I know that at the time maybe not I think we human beings are good at talking ourselves in a mirror I did that because of that but it was quite natural for me I've always been a football fan I've always been a football fan and maybe I, I would love to play for for the bigger teams in the world, I would love to apply it for Liverpool or Manchester United. Every player would like to do that. But what I'm very glad and I'm very proud of, uh, Swindon Town uh, was a time, that was the best time of our lives when we were in the premiership. I went to Middlesbrough. That was a project from them going from they were nearly bankrupt. Steve Gibson came on. He took Brian Robson there. I was a record signing and then they kept on getting Juninho, Ravinelli and so on and so on. Get a new Mm -hmm. stadium. Great, great time for Middlesbrough. Uh, Then I went to Sheffield United. Sheffield United was done. We were nearly, we we lost in the playoff final. Uh, And then I was sold (laughs) in a funny way. And I I would just say that, uh, although we're wrapping up, because how, how transfers are come around. Because sometimes it's a bit coincidence. We played Bury away. I'm in the shower, we won 2-0, I've scored a goal, happy with my goal, happy that we I think it was in the cup, that we were in the next round. And then in came Charlie Sheen, he's later than known for getting Rangers from, well, take them out of business, but that's another story. So he came on and I, was, I had shampoo in my eyes and he said, and it was not normal that this, the general secretary of the club came in, the secretary general. So he came in and said, listen Jan, we have agreed a few with Barnsley, so my head Barnsley not far from Sheffield they're in the Premier League okay and I said okay and he said he said okay that you speak to the manager Danny Wilson tomorrow in Sheffield and I said okay and then he turned around and he went out and then I and I this is like five seconds later I said but but stop 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 and he turned around and I said but I want all my money paid out and he said okay and then he went and like two days later I was playing for Barnsley and that is also part of the industry is like unbelievable, uh, part of the industry. But that was also also for me at the end, there for Barnsley to to be a part of, of their season when they were playing with their same shirt as we did in Swindon, By the way, the, the yellow and light blue was just like watching Brazil. <laughs> and uh, then at the end, I got I got I got my roommate John Henry. he's he is a funny funny guy, Scottish guy, obviously because he put me on the bench, the worst manager I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I would have said that in his face. Uh, and, uh, and then I wanted to, I was still ambitious. I didn't play for the national team. Then, but then I also, at the, at the end, there's not a lot of people in, in England maybe know about that, but I wrapped up my career more or less in Germany where I was able to play two and a half years, nearly three years in Eintracht Frankfurt in the Bundesliga, which was, was, was a great experience because I had been a, a fan of German football all my life. Uh, and it was a fantastic experience for me to play. I was, I was on a bench in a championship for Barnsley uh, on a Saturday. And on the Friday, I played Dortmund away for 70,000 people. Uh, so that is the roller coaster of a football player. And uh, it was funny because John, John Henry always told me to call him Gaffer. And for me, he was a fucking dwarf when he was a player. That's what I called him. So it was quite hard for me to remember to say Gaffer. And I said, Gaffa. And, and he said, John. And he said, Gaffa. And I said, no, I didn't say that. But I, I said, all, I said, so he, you call me Gaffa, Jan. And he put me on the bench and he played himself as a playing manager. So, so I went to Frankfurt and I, I had a look at the, the facilities. We, we negotiated a contract. I had a lawyer with me. We agreed and I signed. So John Gorman, I said, no, sorry, John Gorman, a lot of John's here. John Henry, the manager then calls me on my phone. No, we have an iPhone. And I can see this is the gaffer calling, uh, or the the fucking dwarf that I called him. Sorry about <laughs> that, but this is a time where we're allowed to call each other that. And and I took up my and I took up my phone and, and I was in a hotel, and I was sitting in my bed. So I took the phone, pushed the green button and I said, You fucking idiot, you worst manager of the world. And I said all the swear words I knew in England, and I said, You are so useless, you are blind, I can't Remember a worse manager than you. So after one minute of me swearing, John Henry said, You're signed, have you? <laughs> and, I'm from, and then we just both laughed and, and we still laugh about that story. I went back to Barnes. And I kind of that's what I love about what I love about football, that uh, we can still have that relations, we, we compete and but still we got that thing together that we we uh, we, we did with with the players that we played with. With, with the managers you had and also, by the most important thing, the, the the football fans. And and we started off by me saying that I'm a passionate football fan and I think that I do my communication company over and over. I love to work with politicians, with the commercial side of of uh, the society. But And then people ask me, but is that all you do, uh, except doing these pitch side interviews? Yeah. I, mean, I do football all the time, because football is me, and me is football. And that's because I'm a football fan and, and my wife always, I'm not, I try not to have the image of being so up for the results. I try to, try to do that, although my iPhone is kind of more like a part of my body. So we had this dinner a year ago and my wife said something about football, football, football. And I said, I'm not that interested in football. I'm not a typical football fan. <laughs> and she said, what, what, is the, what is that on the phone? And then it was the update on my phone on a Norwegian league, <laughs> while we were eating food, and I, I know I was I was losing, but but I, I can still see that that was the key. That passion was the key for me to have a good connection with the fans, because I am from. We started off with me being from a small, small village, and, and I still got that feeling when I when I meet people that I admired. Uh, I I can have Clive Allen pitch side, and it's, and it's hard for my my viewers, to understand who <laughs> Clive Allen was. But he scored over 40 goals yeah, in one season and he was a legend in Crystal Palace in all London clubs, in Tottenham and so on. And I'm still excited about that and and I hopefully I will have that for many years to come.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's that enthusiasm that probably assists your uh, your Champions League pitch side stuff because you talk to them not like colleagues. You talk to them like you're interested about what's going on and like a football fan would be and you've, you've done very well in that and of course your son Marcus, Swindon's finest, um, is now playing up in <laughs> Scotland as well. I have a dream.
2: I have a dream that Marcus <laughs> one day can play one season for Swindon Town. Oh, I, man. I, 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 there is something something of it. He's a totally different player than me. He's a total uh, other guy than me, uh, he's a centre half, six foot four. I always said to Mark, before you retire, you have to have one season in Swindon. Uh, <laughs> so, so we'll see, we'll see what's happening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I and I hope that happens, to be honest. But let's, <laughs> let's, let's close with Swindon stuff because we we haven't even mentioned the aeroplane. So, should we finish with the aeroplane?
2: We finished with the aeroplane and the aeroplane. I think when people when I meet, I sometimes, but after my career and now it's. Uh, <laughs> Over you know, it was 20 years nearly since I retired. It was 16, 16 17 years since I retired. But when I meet people from UK, I think people more remember my airplane celebration that they did be uh, scoring goals <laughs> because uh, I did. I was one of those strikers. I loved a great celebration. I love, still love, great celebrations. And in '78, I was 11, and I remember Mario Kemper scored in Buenos Aires, and he, and he ran Behind the goal, I've never seen that before. And he ran behind the goal after scoring. I did the same in my village. There was a lot of <laughs> trees, trees and leaves and everything, but I still did it. And I and I copied everyone. And when I, when I when I scored for Norway, I did Lee Sharp when he was running out to the to the to the corner flag, and and he did the Elvis impression. I did everything. And then there was one player in Norway uh, and one player abroad. The, the guy in Norway was called Alf Koratwai, and I. I made a, a deal with him that I'm always going to mention him when I talk about the airplane celebration because he, don't like, he doesn't like that I get honour for that because he <laughs> did it before me. Uh, so, I, no, I did it. And in correct I did a slow version of it. But I, I did it once at, uh, at County Ground. I've scored. Uh, I, did, I did the airplane. I went out to the small tunnel going into the dressing rooms. And then there was this old lady standing there by the tunnel in my world, she's 85, she, have no, she has no teeth, she's lovely, she's charming, she has those grandmother look of her. Uh, in, still, she is in my story. I remember it was an old lady. And, and, he, and she, she was shouting, which is 100% true, and she was shouting, "Yan, yan, yan!" And I turned around and she was doing the airplane. And I thought, if that's good enough for an old lady in Swindon, the airplane got to be uh, my way of celebrating goals and know my company uh, I got a company called number nine uh, and number nine's logo is me doing the airplane and yeah so that is a part of my part of my legacy I guess.
0: Yeah, Absolutely and well we talk about legacy because you are comfortably one of the center forwards in my all-time Swindon 11 which makes this conversation just that little bit <laughs> extra great but- Ultimately, how does it feel to have your image on the Swindon Town toilet in the Legends Lounge?
2: Uh, there's two things. There is a paradox of what, how, uh, how Swindon Town kind of uh, uh, helped me with my legacy. First of all, there is a I never drank alcohol while I was playing football. I, I was thinking that maybe if I was away from football, that would give me an extra 10% because, mind you, there were a lot of, a lot of footballers who had a couple of beers uh, before and after games. <laughs> I didn't, so I think that helped me. So. So then Swindon makes a lounge called Fjordtoft, which is interesting that you get a pint of beer in Fjordtoft lounge. And then the toilet door. And I love the toilet door because for me, and there is also outside somewhere in Swindon, there's this graffiti that I visited some years ago with my friends, mm-hmm. which made me very proud. Because I'm always, um, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a cliche because a lot of politicians say the same. But I'm, I'm a man of the people. I'm a man of the fans. I could, I could be a fan. I am a fan. And I think that is so fitting to my, to my career that my, the picture of me is on the toilet door. First <laughs> of all, everybody got to go there. And secondly, there is no one in the world who has been a top scorer in, in a Premier League club that got their photo on the door. There is a lot of people having a, a, a brick of wall called <laughs> Fjortoft or something else. But I got that picture on the door. And, and I love it when people send me their photo of that because that just reminds me of a great, great time.
0: And we wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> Jan Fjotow, thank you very much. Uh, thank you,
2: and thank you for having me on.
0: The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford, and the artwork was provided expertly. By John Daglish. Thanks for listening.
1: Come on, Swindon! Boys, for it's a grand
2: old team to play for, and it's a grand old team to see. And if you know the
1: history, it's enough to make your heart go Oh, we don't care what
2: Newcastle say. The hell do we care? Cause we only know that there's gonna be a show
1: and the be there. Hi Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy.